Meet Jill Evans. Jill's got it all. A big house, fast car, two kids and a great career. But Jill has a problem. When it comes to love, Jill can never seem to get things right. And then along comes Dean. I can't believe my luck. Whoa, I've hit the jackpot. It looks like they're going to live happily ever after. But on Halloween night, things get a little gruesome. This is where the shooting happened outside a building society in New Romney. It's thought the 42-year-old victim was killed after he opened fire on police. And Jill's life is changed forever. From Wondery and Novel comes Stolen Hearts, a story about a cop who falls in love with a man who is not all he seems to be. I'm Kerry Godleyman. Follow Stolen Hearts on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. A huge thank you to today's Patreon sponsor, Samantha Everett. Thank you so, so much, Samantha. We adore you and all of our amazing patrons. We're also really excited that we're going to be doing another call with our upper tier patrons on Friday the 17th of February. I'm so excited for that, yeah, because we had one before Christmas and we chatted, we played games, we did Bag of Dicks Pictionary, which was so <laughs> it was good. Fun, wasn't it? <laughs> so good. So if you want to join, make sure you join up to Patreon before that as a upper tier subscriber. But for more information on how you can support the show, head to patreon.com forward slash go love yourself or search Go Love Yourself in Apple Podcasts where you can support the show for as little as £1 a week and you'll get ad-free and early episodes and you can hang out with us on our calls if you join the upper tier. The links will all be in the episode description. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to Go Love Yourself! The podcast where we're all trying to love ourselves a little bit more. I don't exist on the same plane as mini eggs. <laughs> right? Like if I was in a room at a party with mini eggs, I would not make eye contact. I'd be like, oh my God, the biggest celebrity is here. <laughs> so like, yes, I get like, that's amazing. Happy Valentine's Day, my darling Lauren. How are you? Happy Valentine's Day to you. What a cute day. I know, I'm so glad I get to spend it with you and today's guest who I am a bit obsessed with. <laughs> Right, let me tell you, when she says she's a bit obsessed with, she loves this guest more than she loves me and like evidently so. Yeah, she's a bit of a hero of mine. So uh, I really, really think you're going to enjoy this uh, this week's episode. But before we get into it, I wanted to talk about Sam Smith because over the last few weeks, I've been getting so much hate online. I don't know if you've seen it. Apparently, their new video, which is for their song, I'm Not Here to Make Friends, <laughs> ironic, has been like labelled shocking. <laughs> and they've received so much vitriol, particularly on social media and on TikTok. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and I wanted to just chat about it a bit more because it's it's made me quite sad and upset, really. This is one of those moments where we've gone two steps forward, but five steps back. And people are very, very vocal about it. And although I'm, we're seeing loads of backlash to the backlash, and that's brilliant, we shouldn't have to have backlash to the backlash. For some reason, humans will only show respect and kindness to people that they're sexually attracted to. And if they don't understand something, they also don't show that kindness. There's a lot of misunderstanding about gender. And so people get very short-tempered with it and just cut it off at the conversation and because Sam is in a slightly bigger body how dare they wear these kind of clothes in their music video mm. which artists have been wearing since the dawn of time even if you don't like it or whatever you don't have to say it mm. <laughs> 
Like, did we not learn? If you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, was in Bambi in the freaking 50s. So should we just all move yeah. on? Like, it's just really upsetting. And I'm, you know, people will be seeing what the horrible things that people are saying online and relating it to themselves. Yeah. And it's just another thing that makes us feel shit about being in bigger bodies. And I actually did see an interview with Sam Smith where um, they were talking about the weight gain and stuff like that. And um, they were saying that when they were, you know, smaller, they were really miserable. And uh, mm. Sam Smith actually said, I'm six foot two. Like I was tiny and like really restricting and miserable. And I think, you know, now like they're so much happier and mm. yet they're just subject to so much abuse and it kind of goes back to what we always say about like you never know what's going on and just because someone has lost weight doesn't mean that that necessarily is like a good thing and something to be praised but yeah a lot of people have come to their defense which I'm pleased to see I was reading some of the tweets Mm -hmm. and uh, someone's actually written I was going to ask what has Sam Smith done to deserve this amount of hate directed at them but it's quite literally that they're queer and fat isn't it that's what it comes down to literally that and then somebody else has said if Sam Smith were thin cis and straight they wouldn't be ridiculed for how they present and dress if Harry Styles wore the same fits on a magazine cover y'all would be screaming yas queen Anyway, support fat queer people. And to be honest, as like people that don't know, we we know Sam Smith for their music, right? So the most important thing to us is that the music that they've always done is incredible. Is that not the most important thing? I think it's also a lesson for all of us to call things out when we see it and stand up for what's right and, you know, use our voice for good. It's time for a word from today's sponsor, Calm. I know you're probably half listening to this ad or getting ready to skip it, but I want you to take a second to tune in and be mindful of how you feel right now. Take a minute, take a deep breath. If you're feeling stressed or anxious, keep listening so we can tell you all about Calm. Calm is the app that helps you stress less, sleep more and live a happier, healthier life. Their guided meditations, sleep stories, relaxing music tracks and gentle movement sessions are all designed to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. I have been absolutely loving a couple of bits that are on the Calm app. So I listen to brown noise when I go to sleep and it's kind of like this constant noise. And so that any noise that are happening outside, they're not affecting my sleep. And so I love it. And then also while I'm uh, working, I like to have background noise because working from home and there's no one here. It's very quiet and I can't cope. So I'm also listening to some of their voice sounds. So there's like a family dinner one. There's a coffee shop one. It's just the background noise. And I'm listening to those while I'm working and that's chilling me out as well so love it over 100 million people around the world use calm and even if you've never meditated before you'll get the support you need to reduce stress improve focus and uplift your mood the sleep stories can help you drift off calmly or even just keep you company if you're overthinking while you're trying to sleep and new content is added every month and if you go to calm.com forward slash love you get a special offer of 40 percent off a calm premium subscription That's calm.com forward slash love for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. It's not every day you get to chat to one of your heroes and we are beyond excited and also a little bit nervous to introduce our next guest because we love her podcast so much and are huge fans of her writing. So with no further ado, we'd like to welcome author, activist and co-host of the Maintenance Phase podcast, Aubrey Gordon. Hi, Aubrey. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm like over the moon to be here. I'm so happy to be here. Massively thrilled. And I, I am going to have 
a little fangirl moment, if that's all right with you, because um, I like I hate it when people say I'm obsessed, but I'm obsessed with your podcast, <laughs> and it is like genuinely really helped me. And it's like it's so, and I, I'm not. I say this like I'm not just bullshitting you. I think your podcast is brilliant. I think it's so articulate, so well researched. It made me feel a bit of shit about our podcast, and I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> we've we've determined that we are the diet coke of your podcast, but maybe more like the kind of supermarket own brand of maintenance and we're fine with it listen i am a diet coke super fan <laughs> that sounds great to me but also your book what we don't talk about when we talk about fat i thought was again just so articulate you are such a beautiful writer you put into words what i have always felt and i think never really been able to articulate it is a brilliant book so thank you thank you for coming on that's so incredibly kind of you and i will say listen like every person on the face of the planet i am a bake-off super fan oh really so i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> guys we have a request from laura what's happening <laughs> like i really had I'm like so a real excited. genuine freak out oh, about it. really so i'm like like over the moon to be here like genuinely over oh, the moon to be here I, I can't thank you enough for having me genuinely i'll back laura up when you know she sent me voice notes i'll forward them to you if you want me to i'm <laughs> like her like when she was on holiday or like reading your book and listening to your podcast and stuff and like i'm someone that likes to know either the history of things and the science or the reason behind why things are things and you guys give that that other podcasts including ours do not <laughs> and it's kind of like it's just the kindness it, it's just like essentially it's just don't be a dick to fat people is essentially it but you just do it in such a good oh, way oh thank you it's well great. i mean i feel like <laughs> the sort of volume of bias that we're dealing with with fat folks but with any number of marginalized communities runs so deep that even when you look at the science even when you look at the research into those communities the bias is baked into the assumptions and the research questions in the research and it feels really powerful to me to go Oh, I don't have to concede any of this because it's all made up. Right? Like it's all just wild nonsense. And there's something that feels really powerful to me about pulling back the curtain and seeing the teeny tiny wizard of Oz or recognizing that the emperor has no clothes or whatever. Right. Like there is immense power in just being like, oh, yeah, some of this is real and we should totally talk about the real things. But also we should talk about the things that we're making yeah. up because they feel good yeah. to us Based to on make assumptions, up. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you for debunking that because like you said, like the, there is so much like anti-fat bias out there and it is, it's very difficult to be in like live in a world and love yourself in a world that doesn't love you back. Yeah. So I appreciate you doing all that research. The, if you haven't listened to it already, the biggest loser episode, I think was one of my favorites. Oh. I was so angry. I was pacing listening to it, but it was very good. Oh. <laughs> It's really interesting. Folks wrote into us after that episode and were like, I really liked that show, but it doesn't hold up. And I was like, I don't know if it doesn't hold up is the phrasing to use here. Like the show, if you were a fat person, it never held up, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the idea is that the entertainment comes from thin people physically and emotionally abusing fat people, right? Like that's what you're watching is you are watching hours and hours and seasons and seasons of thin trainers shouting at fat people that they're going to die and it's going to be their fault and they better keep running until they vomit and they better keep doing X, Y, and Z thing and restricting their calories to, in some cases, one third of starvation levels, right? Like we are talking about like profound 
things that I would like to think would be violations of the Geneva Convention <laughs> that were done is like acts of war, right? Like it is astonishing to me that this is a thing that so many people watched and so many people loved. And that feels like a measure of how deep our biases run and how ready we are to sort of watch fat people be treated terribly and how much some folks just actually like that. It feels really dark, feels really dark. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. It's worth thinking and talking about as we were talking about, like, how do you love yourself? How do you love your body? How do you love your life? How do you allow other people to love you as part of that? That for fat people in particular, there are repercussions. There are negative repercussions when you are seen to be loving yourself, when you are seen to be being loved, right? Like, that is a thing that many folks cannot handle and will not tolerate. And that's a different landscape than other folks may live in, right? That it is hard enough to have a body, it is hard enough to love that body at any point in your life. And when you add on to that, then people will get mad at you if you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is like another layer that frankly, no one should have to well, yeah, deal with. Because you're promoting obesity, yeah, aren't you? Absolutely. All yeah. day, every day. I mean, I, I go out regularly. <laughs> like, this weekend, I'm planning, like, I'm going out handing out flyers yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i'm actively recruiting come on everyone i just <laughs> join the club it's part of my contract that anytime i speak i have to speak from a podium made of donuts <laughs> 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 it makes me really sad too because i'm just like guys it's great over here it is <laughs> like genuinely so phenomenal whatever your size is to get right with the body that you have is the body that you have why don't you take care of it why don't you treat it well why don't you treat it with respect and tenderness and love right it makes me so sad that it feels to me like so much of that stuff comes from people who are resisting that conclusion Mm. right who are wedded to the idea that their bodies and everyone's bodies can be like earned to be something else right um that they are looking at other people's appearance and deciding how much effort that means they're putting into their life or their health or anything else. It makes me really sad because that feels like a really trapped kind of space for your brain to spend all its time in, you know, like, And it's sad on the other side for, you know, people then to determine how much respect they'll give you. So absolutely. I mean, I think I would say the other thing that folks reach for is even if it's not some folks will sort of take that to like a half step more high minded sort of level in their own minds, which is like, I'm actually just concerned about your health. And that's why I have to do this is because I want Mm. you to be healthy. Treating someone like garbage doesn't actually make anyone healthier. (laughs) Step one. (laughs) Step two. Let's follow that logic to its natural conclusion. You're telling me that your perception of someone else's health determines how you treat that person? Like, that is a wild thing to say to people with chronic illnesses. That is a wild thing to say to people with disabilities. That is a wild organizing principle to use in your life to be like, I looked at you based on your appearance. I determined how healthy I think you are. And until you get as healthy and look as healthy to me, Based on my own definition, I'm going to treat you however I see fit uh, is like sort of a monstrous thing to do. And I don't think it's what folks intend when they say that stuff. But it is sort of like, again, like if you follow the logic through, it doesn't 
go to a great place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it doesn't take you to like an admirable or high minded sort of conclusion, right? Like it's, it's really rough. I don't understand. Like why do people feel like being fat is a moral failing? And why do people take it upon themselves to think that they even have a right to comment? The Sam Smith stuff is, has made me feel ill this week. This wasn't talked about when they were smaller. Absolutely. It feels really absurd that this is the position that Sam Smith is in. It it also pales in comparison to the position that say Lizzo is put in like every 10 seconds people are mad at Lizzo about like wearing clothes in public it is maddening (laughs) that this is sort of the approach that we take and it is sort of astonishing that folks won't just acknowledge or cop to the fact that there is like such a clear double standard Mm. right that like the clothes that Lizzo wears are not materially different than the clothes that Lady Gaga wears, right? Like the look that Sam Smith is working in that video is not materially different than a lot of the looks that Harry Styles works, right? Like that's not to say anything about any of the sort of thinner pop stars that we're talking about here. Don't come for Harry Styles. I won't, I won't have that. (laughs) No, we're not doing that here. (laughs) We're not doing that here, but the difference in reception, the fact that one is sort of uncritically lifted up and the other one is sort of considered to be the subject of controversy, quote unquote, feels bananas to me that they're like there are like two clear differences here, right? There's like stated sexual orientation and gender identity, and there is body size, and that is it. And it it feels really wild that so many folks will not just acknowledge that that's what's happening without going any further than that. Just acknowledging that this person is getting treated really differently than other folks who do similar things. I think sometimes I love the internet. I love like lots of aspects of the internet, but sometimes <laughs> just everyone's got a fucking opinion. And like I say, this is someone who has a podcast. I know that like, I kind of probably adding to the problem, but also like sometimes just like, just keep, keep it to yourself or like go and, Get, like learn something like actually go off and like educate yourself because I think when it comes to negativity anyway especially like where is that coming from is that coming from a place of actual hatred is it coming from like lack of education or is it coming from insecurity like what yeah I don't get it I will say as you said that I was like oh I think an opinion is the collective noun for podcasters like a murder of crows like an Guilty. opinion of podcasters <laughs> seems right to me <laughs> It's time for a word from today's sponsor, BetterHelp. We're all about living our best selves on Go Love Yourself, as you know, because when you feel confident and at your best, it feels like you can literally do anything. But that can be a really rare feeling because sometimes life can be very overwhelming and it can make you feel like you're not really showing up for yourself. Honestly, it's so difficult to find that balance, but working with a therapist can help you get closer to that best and happiest version of yourself. Because when you feel empowered, you feel more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. And you all know how much Laura and I advocate for doing therapy and talking therapy. It has been absolutely life-changing for us and it's given us the tools to kind of deal with emotions as they come up and deal with them better and so we can just generally live our best lives. If you're thinking of trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option because it's convenient, accessible, affordable and completely online. If you'd like to try it out, head to betterhelp.com slash go love to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash go love to get 10% off your first month. I haven't even gotten to question one yet. Yeah! This is like a personal best for me. This is supposed to be 40 minutes in total. Okay. <laughs> this is amazing. 
so obviously me and Lauren know and love you if that wasn't clear already but uh, for anyone listening that doesn't I want to talk a bit about your writing because you started writing online anonymously was it about sort of five years ago under the name Your Fat Friend and then it went viral didn't it tell us what happened yeah absolutely I uh, years ago was sort of in a little bit of an uh, challenging conversation with a friend of mine and we weren't seeing eye to eye she is a thin person who had a restrictive eating disorder I am a fat person who had a restrictive eating disorder hello it felt like in that conversation we were just sort of missing each other right like we just didn't quite connect and I thought maybe it would be better and easier to write her a letter what she was trying to convey to me was it's really hard to have an eating disorder and what I was trying to convey to her is I know and also there are material differences um, when you are a fat person sort of dealing with all of this stuff so uh, I wrote her a letter I sent it to another friend of mine to look at and to be like am I being a massive jerk am I being like the worst in this letter and he read it and gave me feedback and was like no I don't think you are and also if you wanted to post this somewhere I bet other folks would find use in it and within about a week I think it was four 40,000 people read it. And I figured I had more stuff to say about fatness than that. So I just kept writing. (laughs) And it got really big, really fast, um, and has continued to sort of like, gain steam at a level that is um, sometimes really fun and sometimes really alarming. (laughs) You know, I read an article that you wrote recently. I I sound like a stalker. I, I may or may not have read an article that you wrote recently about how you don't like the, the word fat phobia. It's so funny because I was doing some research around it for something and I, I read, I looked up on Urban Dictionary and it was, oh, don't, don't do it. It was basically like people saying like, oh, just a made up thing for the fat people of kind of, you know, because like, it doesn't exist basically. It's just sure. fat people because they don't want to be fat anymore, basically saying that you everything's fat phobic. But you don't like the word and I want to know why tell me you prefer anti-fat bias is that right I do for a couple of reasons one I'm sort of taking my cues from Denari Monroe who's like a phenomenal uh, fat writer who wrote a great piece about how um, phobias are a different thing than bigotry right that actually like there are people who have phobias there are people who are dealing with a serious mental health condition and those folks face plenty of stigma and we don't need to pile on with this sort of like misunderstanding that like bigotry stems from some kind of profound psychological fear, right? Uh, That resonated with me. It also resonates with me that I don't actually think that most people who treat fat people like garbage are afraid of us. They're just dicks. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think that calling that a phobia kind of lets them off the hook in some ways, right? People shouldn't, but they do shut down when they feel like their character is being assessed, right? When they feel like their personhood is being assessed in an interaction. And it feels like there is much more room for engagement when you talk about bias, because there's this understanding that like people have explicit biases and implicit biases, and we can't always control for them. And it's something that you can move Mm -hmm. through. And I want to encourage folks to move through it, right? To like tackle their biases, to engage with them and to try and actually like get better than that. Right. And if people feel like they are being, labeled in some way or dismissed in some way because of their bigotry, which would be an understandable thing to do to dismiss someone on the basis of their bigotry. I I do want to be able to like work with folks and help them understand that there's a way to grow through all of this. That's not everybody's approach. That's just mine. 
People can use whatever words they want to use. Those are the words that I use. Yeah, that makes sense. I really resonate with your reasoning and it's it's quite a flippant word when you really think about it. I think it's kind of one of those things that just kind of rolls rolls off the tongue because we've all been kind of using yeah. it. And it wasn't until I read that, or may or may not have read that article, that I... Um, <laughs> yeah. Can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> fully the CIA. It kind of got me... Can, can't yeah, tell you. That, it, it got me thinking and I think... Like you say, language is so important. And I think even the word fat, like it's such an emotive thing. Mm. And like uh, all of the kind of fat activists that I kind of like read about, read their work, they all mm. say like fat is not a bad word. But I grew up mm. with it. There's trauma associated with that word for me. Yeah. And so while I am quite comfortable now calling myself fat, when other people mm. call me that, it still kind of hurts and it triggers me and I think that it's very personal it's very emotive and I do agree that like we should be it's just a descriptor and I, I agree with all of those things yeah. but also I'm still a person and I can't help how I kind of feel about it totally well and also here's what I'll say about all of this stuff for years and years and years I used the term fat phobia I've reconsidered that I expect that there will be a point at which I reconsider using the term anti-fat bias or anti-fatness right like I'm very much from the like Stephen Fry school of language is built to grow mm, and change. Love that. Right? Like that's what it's here for is to communicate ideas and to communicate our changing approach to things. And like, it is totally fine to revisit the language that you use. And I expect that I am using terms now that I will find abhorrent <laughs> in five years or 10 years. Right? Like, and I think that's also just like, again, part of the, like you grow through your biases mm. stuff is like, we've got to, be able to, at least for me and for the approach that I take to this work, it feels really important to invite other folks into working through their biases. And I can't do that in a warm and understanding way if I'm not also doing that with myself. So like giving yourself some grace, right? And some space to learn and grow and expect that that learning and growth is a good thing and not something to be ashamed of feels like an important part of this too, right? That like your feelings about the word fat may change. They might not. All of that is fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, and all of that and sort of living with and sitting with that knowledge about yourself can also help you make that space for other folks who are in sort of a conflicted space with their relationship to the language that they use and how they describe their own bodies. Like, I think that's a good mm. thing to lift up that there is conflictedness in all of this. No one is like cleanly coming to this conversation going, I've got it all figured out. Here Here's my unified theory of fatness. We all did it. We can all go home, right? Like <laughs> everyone is bringing their stuff and we've got to create space that like, you know, makes room for that. For sure. For sure. And language is such an important part of that. Like it's so emotive. Uh, sometimes it's not that deep. Sometimes it is. So for example, mm. I now very much intentionally use the term child free, not childless. And the yes. impact on that when you say those words is mm. huge and people notice it. Do you know what I mean? So I love the anti-fat bias because I think that puts the onus, onus on them. Like, you're anti-fat, hun. Move on. Mm -hmm. What in the 2012 is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I love Basically. that very much. So, Aubrey, we asked some of our listeners uh, for their diet culture hot takes. And I thought this was a good one to start with because we just sort of touched slightly on the whole like fat activism thing. Let's do it. So one of our listeners says that she thinks there needs to be more of a focus on fat activism within body positive spaces. Thoughts on that, please? I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge here that body positivity as a movement is rooted in fat activism. And the thing that has sort of changed that and blown it out is that 
corporations started using body positivity as sort of a slogan, disembodied and sort of divorced from its activist roots. And so a bunch of people saw a bunch of Dove commercials and Halo Top commercials and whatever else. And were like, I now understand what body positivity is. I watched this 15 second ad on TV, right? And decided that it's about feeling good about your body and not about eliminating barriers and social messages that make people feel terrible about their bodies, mm. right? That folks thought that sort of the work is internal and it's just about loving yourself in a vacuum, right? Versus creating a world in which the conditions are such that anyone can love themselves, right? That anyone can get their needs met. That would be great if there was more sort of like acknowledgement of anti-fatness and fat activism in body positive spaces. It's not a thing that I'm spending a ton of time on because I feel like what I get most frequently when I'm in sort of self-proclaimed body positive spaces is a lot of people saying, this is for you as long as you're happy and healthy and as long as you're not fat, (laughs) (laughs) right? So like, clearly I'm not the messenger for that, for that person. <laughs> it's a great, great thing. And the first step is for folks who have sort of flooded that space and particularly thinner folks who have sort of flooded that space to create the conditions under which fat folks could continue to participate and bring their whole selves. Again, whether or not we're happy on any given day, whether or not we're perceived as being healthy, you know, I think that depressed fat people and chronically ill fat people should be able to love themselves just as much as anyone else. That shouldn't be a radical statement, but here we are. I mean, right. But like talking of the body positivity, uh, another listener had a hot take of a lot of body positivity influencers do more harm than good. Yeah. I would agree. This was a a big trope maybe five years ago. There were a bunch of pictures from people who don't wear plus sizes, who are body positive influencers, who would do these split screen photos. And one of them is them like sort of slouching with their shoulders (laughs) rounded. And they'd be like, look at all these rolls. And then they'd stand up straight and they'd be like, surprise, I'm actually a thin person. (laughs) (laughs) And you go, why did I never think you were fat? What's happening? What are we proving here? I don't understand. And I think that folks don't think about What's the impact for someone who has body dysmorphia? What's the impact for someone who has those roles when they stand up straight, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the message here? If you are always looking like the slouching person, what is the effect here if, for me, the like slouching photo is probably what other folks would expect me to aspire to? I think that folks think through, in a totally understandable way, what they feel like they themselves would have needed to hear, and then don't go through the steps of vetting okay, if I'm showing this to a disabled person, okay, if I'm showing this to a person with an eating disorder, okay, if I'm showing this to someone who is twice my weight or three times my weight, what's the effect for them? Mm. I think it's really like a simple matter of like thinking beyond your own experience, which sounds straightforward and can be really complicated. Like it's a very human thing to mess that up, you know? (laughs) Do you feel the same about wellness influencers or as you called them on a podcast I may not or may not have listened to uh, called called ill (laughs) (laughs) there was an episode called illness influencers wasn't there yes absolutely Belle Gibson woo very familiar to any Australian listeners and was news to me a lady who built her career off of saying that her diet cured her cancer and then it came out that she never had cancer Cool. What a cool. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I think part of the challenge with sort of the wellness world is that it has popped up in response to 
gaps in healthcare, the attention that folks, particularly with chronic illnesses or symptoms that are going unexplored or underexplored, who are more likely to be women, more likely to be black, indigenous, or people of color, more likely to be disabled, right? Like all of those sort of societal biases come into play in healthcare too. When folks feel like they're not getting what they need, they seek out alternative sources. And then those are alternative sources are sometimes good and sometimes like really perilous garbage, like really perilous garbage. I will absolutely never forget uh, researching an episode on celery juice because I saw it all over Instagram and then looked into the dude who popularized celery juice. And he was like, I talked to the ghost from the future who tells me about science we haven't discovered yet. And he says, celery juice will prevent you from contracting any disease. <laughs> I was like, okay, we are <laughs> off the rails. Like, I, but you've also got like many, many celebrities talking about drinking their 16 ounces of celery juice every thing, morning on an empty stomach thing. and blah, blah, blah. But no one's talking about sort of like, what's the source of this and what's the science behind it? And the science behind it is nothing. And if it is something, it's from the future, from a ghost. What are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Mm. It feels like this place where folks have come to it from a very genuine and vulnerable place and then are getting grifted to hell and gone. Folks deserve better from their healthcare providers, but they also deserve better than like you know, future ghost guy. I can't believe it. Right. Well, I mean, just while we're talking about like obscene Mm. diets, thoughts, (laughs) thoughts on a Zimpic. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) I must say, Laura, Laura said this to me a while ago. She was like, I think we need to do something on this. And I was like, I haven't even heard of it. Uh, I haven't seen it on my TikTok. Cause Laura's like, it's going viral on TikTok. Haven't even seen it. And then for the first time in ages, I went rather than my for you page, my following page. And like two people that I followed, I've only had TikTok for like, three years like everyone else like lovely wonderful people that i followed and they're doing it and i'm like pardon yeah yeah for folks who are unfamiliar it is being promoted as a weight loss injection that you inject yourself once a week much has been written the cut did a great story about um the many many sort of side effects of this medication what feels to me like it is being lost in this conversation is We've seen weight loss, quote unquote, miracle drugs come and go before. I am a person who took Fenfen in the 90s as a teenager because a doctor told me to because they thought it was safe. Fenfen is a drug that ended up being pulled from the shelves within two years because it stopped people's hearts. It also filled people's lungs with fluid until they drowned. (gasps) Yeah, I mean, it's like it's horrific. It is horrific. So first of all, anytime something gets touted as a weight loss miracle drug, I think our enthusiasm for the idea of reliable, consistent weight loss outpaces our concern for the health of people who are Mm. using that thing, right? We've seen that before. I am living proof of that thing. Those uh, cardiac side effects, by the way, can have an onset years later. So I don't know if and when I will have heart troubles, even though I haven't taken Fenfen in years. That's a thing that might be coming for me. So like step one, proceed with caution. Step two, the reason we have these medications is that they are used for people with diabetes to stay alive. And what this has created is because people think that this is like you just take a shot and then you get thin. There you go. There is now a global shortage for people who, again, need this medication to stay alive. That is clearly not the fault of people who are taking the medication. That is the fault of pharmaceutical companies. It is the fault of a lot of bigger systems. But I still think it is like a very clear moral referendum that we are picking. I want to lose weight and look thin 
And that matters more to me than someone else being able to stay alive is a really hard one for me to just like sit by and sort of take. The other thing that I will say gets lost in a lot of this coverage is that semaglutides, which is is the sort of like overarching category of medications, these injections, you will read these news pieces. I've read, I don't know, a dozen of them at this point, and they'll go through all of the like dramatic weight loss, blah, 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 miracle drug. Doctors are so excited, blah, blah, blah. And then the last sentence of the last paragraph is, uh, Cumulative weight loss was five to 10% of body weight and it stops as soon as you stop using the injection. Bye, right? It's the same as every diet. It produces the same thing. 5% of my body weight would be like 17 pounds. I'm doing very quick math. That doesn't make me a thin person, guys. That makes me a slightly less fat, fat person. There's also this, like, all of this sort of weird wishful thinking that is going into quite a bit of press coverage that is like the end of the obesity epidemic, question mark. And I'm like, no, the end of 15 pounds for me. Calm down. It's clickbait, isn't it? I think, and also like, and I think what what I don't like about those kind of headlines and articles is that, again, like diet culture, it preys on people's insecurities because even for Mm -hmm. me, who's someone who has like really educated themselves in like anti-fat bias and like, why just mm. some people are just bigger I still like read that and I'm like mm. oh okay oh maybe because yeah. I'll be honest with you if I could take something that didn't affect my health and that meant long term like sustained because mm. I, maybe I would because being in a bigger body sometimes it, it is hard like access to fertility treatment is mm. like it like it's impossible other things yeah. clothes blah 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 <sighs> but people don't understand I think with the Zempic is that they see this like quick fix but it is literally is that it's another fad diet as soon as you stop taking it you put the weight back on and I wish people more people knew that also it's not all like kind of roses because it causes sickness diarrhea nausea like I don't know man like do you want to live like that yeah I mean again those are side effects that people with diabetes have to live with because they need this medication to yeah. keep their blood sugar in a safe range. And is it any way to live if you are, again, part of a system that is taking away someone else's ability to literally live? Mm. I can't hang with that, guys. I can't hang with it. It's a really tough one for me. <laughs> uh, I, I, try, I try not to be too hardline on too many things. Um, but this is one where I'm like, this feels like a really clear moral question about like, how much do the lives of disabled and chronically ill people matter to us? And how much does thinness matter to us? And right now we are giving a very clear answer that I am very uncomfortable with, right? Like, oh, it really bums me out. Couldn't agree more. It's just another diet with a good marketing strategy, essentially. That's all it is. Again, you're welcome for bringing it down, everybody. I'm sorry. Well, let's go back to some more <laughs> fun things because you have a new book out, which I think Laura is mm. basically just sitting outside of the bookshop for for like right now, <laughs> waiting for it to like be there. So Laura loves obviously the first book. Can you tell us more about the new book? Yes. Uh, I wrote a book called You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People. It is 20 short chapters. Each title is sort of a myth that many fat folks will have heard many times. Like, it's just calories in, calories out. Or you just don't want to go to the doctor because they're going to tell you the truth and they're the real judges of your health or whatever. And each one is designed to, in some cases, straight up debunk 
Myths, for example, that uh, 360,000 deaths every year in America of people just from being so fat that they drop dead, you would know someone. My fellow Americans, you would know someone who just died of being fat, who just like got so fat they just dropped dead. <laughs> we are all walking around believing these things in some cases that have been debunked and disproven for decades, right? Calories in, calories out was pretty definitively debunked, like the year that I was born. So like, we're like 40 years into knowing that calories in, calories out is at best an incomplete understanding of weight loss. And at worst, like an active misdirect. There's one quote from one of the studies that was like, this is so inaccurate, it should never be used to predict individual or collective weight loss or weight gain. Don't use it ever in clinical settings. (laughs) Like, boom, done. (laughs) Not everyone is like sitting around reading like the Journal of American Dietetics, like I am like a weirdo. (laughs) And it felt like worth sort of getting that stuff out into the world in a way that felt like, again, sometimes a straight up debunk, sometimes adding some nuance to conversations that are often designed to be conversations to reject fat folks. And it felt like worth taking the legs out from under that particular table until it just like (laughs) falls flat, right? Uh, That's a weird metaphor to use, but here we are. (laughs) Eat less, leave more. That's my favorite one. Take stairs you'll be thin in no time okay (laughs) of your 20 myths what do you reckon is like the biggest one or maybe even the most important one can you pick a favorite (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i would say (laughs) i don't know about favorites i would say i think there's one that is often missing from the conversation that feels really foundational to me of course, the stuff about the BMI is really important. Many folks know that at this point. Of course, the stuff about the obesity epidemic being sort of like constructed in a really specific way is important. The thing that I think most frequently gets left out of our conversations about fatness and particularly about fatness and health is actually the role of the healthcare system and how it treats fat folks, right? Essentially, any study that I have found and read about anti-fatness amongst healthcare providers shows that it is at astronomical levels, right? That a majority of healthcare providers, this is in the US, um, so the results may be different in different places. In the US, the majority of healthcare providers, without having met with a fat patient, describe that fat patient based on a photograph as being awkward, ugly, non-compliant, unattractive, and in some cases, untrustworthy. So, If you are starting from a place of seeing a patient and thinking, this person's already non-compliant, they're already not going to do what I tell them, what's the point? You are going to do what research has also showed, which is you're going to give considerably shorter office visits to fat people. You're going to run fewer tests. You're going to give them different treatments. You're going to tell them to go away and come back when they lose weight. And that's when you'll investigate symptoms. And what that leads to for fat folks is stuff that we assume is just the result of having a fat body, right? Like we assume that any heart problems you might have, any cancer you might get, any sort of dramatic health outcomes that might befall you are just a result of the fat on your body. And we shut out this entire part of the conversation that's also like, "Mm, but when you go see a doctor, they tell you to leave, (laughs) right? Like, it seems bizarre to me that we have so many conversations about healthcare for fat people without actually talking about healthcare for fat people. (laughs) It it feels really strange to me. That is not to say anything about healthcare providers who 
go through an immense amount of technical training who absolutely know their stuff, who are doing really good work. And in that training, they are not at any point asked, at least again, in the United States, they are not at any point asked to reckon with their own biases or check their own biases. They are not at any point asked to reckon with patient feedback when patients say, you've told me to lose weight for 10 years. It's not happening. Can we actually just look into this thing, right? There are missing pieces to this puzzle that mean that fat folks don't get the same care that thin folks get, which means we don't have the same health outcomes that thin folks have. And it seems really bizarre to me that we would have, again, this entire conversation about fat people's health, which is what we're always sort of crowing about. And we completely fall silent when it comes to improving the quality of healthcare that fat folks have access to. That that feels like a big foundational one to me. Yeah, massively. We'll see how it lands. We'll see how it lands. <laughs> <laughs> so Aubrey, before you go, and I, I don't ever want you to leave, but before you go, uh, we have a new segment on the podcast. And basically, Ooh. things that we don't like, we put into... Lauren's going to present it, the bag of dicks. <laughs> so like things like Donald Trump, the patriarchy, diet culture, a Zempic. Uh, and we're going to ask you, Aubrey, we're going to put you on the spot. What are you putting into the bag of dicks? We were supposed to ask you this at the beginning, by the way, and I got carried away. Sorry, babes. No, 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 no. This is so good. I think we probably got to maybe two of the questions on the list, <laughs> but I'm having a I had ball. a great time. Doesn't matter. I mean, like, listen, I'm very tempted to say something like flat earth theory. They're, all, they're already in there, babes. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there you go. Good, 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 good. You can't good. see them because it is flat. Yes, carry Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it's a two-dimensional bag. You nailed it. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I would say. Uh, this may or may not be big news where you are. It is huge news where I am. The American Academy of Pediatrics just released their new guidelines for um, treatment of childhood obesity, quote unquote. Their recommendations have shifted dramatically from what they called a wait and see approach where they're like, just don't intervene too much and just, you know, like give it time. They released their new guidelines, um, which recommend weight loss surgery at 13. What? It recommends, wow. yes, it recommends uh, weight loss drugs, including injections uh, in grade school. And it recommends dietary interventions as young as two. I, I asked my mom, who's a career preschool teacher about this, and she was like, you know what a dietary intervention is for a two-year-old? It's like, don't throw yeah. your food on the floor. That's a dietary yeah. intervention for it. Like, what are we doing here? Fuck. It makes me want to cry and barf and punch people mm. and things. And it is like in direct defiance of the wishes of every fat person I know, every person, regardless of their size, who dieted at a young age knows that this is bad news. And it is now the standard of care for pediatricians in the United States. The other thing that is fascinating to me about it is something that uh, my co-host, Michael Hobbs, talks about sort of we're in sort of a transitional stage. He likens it to sort of like the 90s talking about gay people, right? Where they'd be like, <laughs> well, of course they shouldn't have kids, <laughs> but maybe they're not all terrible? <laughs> question mark. Like, it feels like that's where we're at yeah, with fat stuff, right? such a good analogy. It's like, of course we can't trust them to choose their own foods and make their own meals, but 
The fascinating thing about the AAP guidelines is that they include a whole section on weight stigma and why it's so important to tackle weight stigma. And their answer to that is make fat kids thin at almost all costs. It is this fascinating moment where I'm like, ooh, you were on it, you were on it, you were on it, and then you took this wild turn (laughs) off to one side, and I don't know how you landed at this conclusion, but okay. Well, thank you, like, genuinely, like, thank you for, like, just being so eloquent and articulate and for doing the work, doing the research, and then putting all the great kind of content stuff out there the podcast the books good luck with the book and I'm yeah genuinely huge fan here thank you this is so fun thank you all so much for having me thank you guys so much for listening and thank you oh my gosh thank you to Aubrey for coming on that was an amazing episode if you ever want to get in touch with us you can DM us on Instagram at goloveyourselfpod or email goloveyourself at crowdnetwork.co.uk we'll be back with a new episode next week but if you want more of us in the meantime you can check out our Facebook group Go Love Yourself Community you can also support the show by subscribing on Patreon or Apple Podcasts where you can get ad-free and early episodes for £1 a week or you can listen ad-free on Amazon Music And remember to check out our new YouTube channel and we still have some tickets left to our live show in London on Friday the 3rd of March and the link to those will be in the episode description. Love you and we'll see you next week. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Hello, I'm La La La, let me explain. And this is, it's not you, it's them, but it might be you. I'm here to answer all your questions around love, relationships, sex, dating dilemmas, and anything else you throw my way. Join me three times a week as we work through the depths of this intimacy pool together. From Sony Music Entertainment, listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.